You are listening to House of Football, brought to you by Sports Joe. The North London Derby was an entertaining draw where one side showed they could do without that striker, while the other one showed they badly need one. City, Liverpool and Brighton continued to set the pace and Chelsea managed to keep the heat off Manchester United by continuing their penchant for mediocrity. Oh, and Newcastle hit a past Sheffield United. I'm Eric Lawler and this is episode 27 of House of Football. Joined in studio today by Alan Cawley, a man I see more than my own wife, and making his debut, our new signing, Ender Cole. Lads, you're very welcome to the podcast. Hello, Eric. How are, How are you, Ender? How are you? Right, we're going to go straight into it. The big match of the weekend, the North London Derby... A brilliant two-all draw, hugely entertaining. Your takes from that match. I loved it. Absolutely loved it, Eric. It was, um, as you say, the best game of the season so far. Brilliant game of football. Two teams playing great football, going toe-to-toe. And I suppose Spurs have been the story so far in terms of the start that they've made. And and I suppose leading into it, the storyline was, this is their biggest test. How can they deal with this? How can they cope with going to Arsenal? Will Ange Ball retreat back? But... Nothing of the sort, Eric. He went straight for them. Um, and I felt that would have been the approach anyway because I don't think he's going to change no matter where he goes in terms of what he's trying to implement. Um, and it was a brilliant game of ball and it showed huge character to fall behind twice, still come back. Um, Arsenal probably dominated the first half an hour. Then Spurs slowly grew into the game. Couple of breakaways. They nearly scored with Brennan Johnson just before the goal that they did score. Um, and yeah, and I said, it just grew into it. And the bravery they showed, Eric, that was the biggest takeaway for me. And I know Madison and got robbed on the on the edge of the box and if the, if it goes 2-0 I think that's game over it was hard to see whether Spurs could come back after that but to be fair to them they just kept playing their football it was unbelievable I couldn't the fact that he's only there probably a couple of months and a new team and you're trying to gel new players together and he's trying to implement his philosophy to me that always takes time with a coach but to have the bravery to show what he's trying to implement, to continue to do it, but not only to continue to do it, to execute it in the manner that they did because they were so good at it and so successful at it. So there's obviously hours on the coaching field, the belief he's given them. He has everybody in the palm of his hand, Ange, in terms of the way he speaks and the media and the appro- and the interviews and all that kind of stuff. So I was just so impressed with them. And to think Arteta is there since 2019 and done a brilliant job and built that squad that he has now and everybody's kind of maybe saying... And they are the biggest challengers to City. To think Postacoglu was only there a couple of months. Imagine another transfer window. And imagine in next year where they'll be Spurs. Because I think they're only three or four players away from what I've seen Sunday. From potentially being challenging. Like they look so, so good. And Madison, who I've raved about for so long, Eric. <laughs> he was absolutely brilliant. And despite the fact that he got robbed. I remember playing a reserve match years ago. I was only a boy. Literally 17, 18. And Gareth Farley was playing uh, with Everton at the time ex-Bose boss ex, yeah ex-Bose boss <laughs> and he was an Irish international at the time um, playing for Everton not getting a game but played in the reserves and I literally went something similar to Madison went back to receive the ball square on turned straight into Farley he's in on goal bang he actually hit it wide and I was thinking oh but it, what it taught me in terms of just knowing obviously you learn from your mistakes and even though Madison did that he was still the next one going to receive the ball going to look for it never goes high never shies away from it and I thought he was fantastic and I just thought it was a brilliant brilliant game of football and I'm going over to see them on Saturday Eric and I can't wait to see them live (laughs) (laughs) Andy your thoughts on the game yeah I mean 
everything that Alan says there is correct. And as a Celtic fan who's experienced Ange Ball for the last two years before he went to Spurs, I thought the build up to the game where Paul Merson was giving it all, like, you know, Ange is going to need to be a little bit less naive. He's going to need to change his routine. Same with the commentary team talking about, I, I think it was Gary Neville on commentary, was talking about how Ange and Tottenham need to switch up the play. They need to add a little bit more variance to it. That's not what Ange Postacoglu does. That's not what his team does. And the reason that they continue to improve is they continue to do what they're trying to do. They continue to do their plan A. Plan B is do plan A better. Mm -hmm. And Ange's whole thing is that you cannot get better if you change your ideals. So Tottenham will not change the way that they're going to play, whether they go to the Champions League next year, whether they're playing Man City away and Man City are 3-0 up they will continue to play the way that they want to play because that's the way that he sees them improving. And that is that has been the trend for Ange throughout his career. And would the you say that's a plus end of the fact that they have they know what the game plan is and consistently deliver on that game plan? I think it's more difficult in the Premier League because there's more teams with better budgets, better players and better managers who can figure out a system. So I think, for example, West Ham will really stifle Tottenham this year because of the way that West Ham play. And Tottenham will not change the way that they're going to play to suit against West Ham, whereas we all know David Moyes is more than willing to do that against Tottenham. So I think where Ball comes unstuck is when there is a team that has figured them out and they do struggle to break them down. Unless the players are able to do the game plan better, they probably will struggle at some point this season. But like Alan says... Year two. Year two is always better under Ange. He always improves the team. So the upward trajectory that Tottenham are on, I'm incredibly jealous of. Mm. And, and not alone that, um, in terms of the fact that you're saying in the, the opposition and the analysts and uh, you're better play, playing against better teams with bigger resources, bigger budget in the Premier League than Scotland, no disrespect to Scotland, that's a reality. But flip that over to the fact that now Postacoglu is dealing with better players himself. You know, yeah. so that's the flip side of it. Obviously, he's up against better teams and better players in terms of trying to stifle his way of playing. But he has Basuma now. He has the personnel that dictates the way he wants to play as well. He so, looks like a new player. He yeah, and I, I often think as well, I look at all like football is fashionable with things that people are doing, you know, and people latch on to that. And, and whatever's in vogue at the moment, people want to do that. But that's all well, well and good, wanting to do what the better teams are doing or the better managers. But they have the best players. Mm -hmm. And I often say, well systems and stuff are dictated by your personnel there's no point in you wanting to play fancy football if you have three meatheads at the back who, who just want to kick the ball along or whatever you know so yeah so the personnel obviously dictates now he's brought Basuma back he has ball players playing under Madison as well receive the ball take the ball anywhere he will literally take the ball anywhere as we've seen on the edge of the box he's not standing up 40 yards up the pitch saying oh we'll only give it to me when I'm up here he's going as deep as he wants he's allowed that freedom Basuma as well um, Pedro Porro the inverted fullbacks Adogi the two of them were I like him Adogi brilliant and he he deserves a special mention in the game Sunday I feel because Saka I love as much as Madison I think Saka is absolutely fantastic on and off the pitch a breath of fresh air that young man and if you go, if you're, it's hard enough, I'd say, to mark Saka without getting a yellow card after 20 minutes, 25 minutes, and then to try and remain disciplined when he's running at you 1v1, you're thinking, oh, where am I going to go from here? He was fantastic, Adogi, to stay disciplined for the remainder of that match and still to play, the, still to not shy away from the things that he was wanting to do as well. Sometimes people, a fullback, if you're playing against someone as good as Saka, you think, well, I'm just going to sit in here. I'll sacrifice my attack and play because I'm up against it with this boy. And if I go too far, 
I'll be exposed. But he was still willing to get forward, attack, get involved in the build-up. It was just, honestly, it was brilliant. I can't wait to see. Sometimes I always feel it's hard. Not that it's hard, you can see on the television, but sometimes it doesn't do justice exactly what they're doing. Mm. So to see them live, I'm so excited to see them. Because I said, I've watched them live under Conte, all, this, all the previous managers, and honestly, it was it was horrible to watch at times. Going over there to see this this manager and this team, and play. expect the atmosphere to be. Electric I'll be electric. As well. The fans are behind yeah. as well. Like I, I just and Arsenal deserve credit too. I thought it was a great game of football. The two yeah, teams, class. it was brilliant. Yeah. Well, what I would say about Spurs and continuing to do it, I think Adogi was probably the best example of it at the weekend. Is that because that because they have this system, because they know they're going to make mistakes in these first couple of weeks, and because they know that if they get back to what the coach wants them to do. They continue to build themselves back into the game. They went 1-0 down. They stuck to the plan. They came back. You know, another goal goes in and they they just stick to what they're doing. And what I think that's going to do is that is going to completely obliterate this whole Spursy idea mm. around this team, which I think is important because Spurs have that label for a reason. They are inconsistent. They do drop points where they shouldn't. They can be they flaky. Do, they yeah. can be flaky. I think and Post- that's the third game in a row, sorry, and they've come back exactly falling behind. Well, Ange Postacoglu's mantra at Celtic was, we'll never stop. He had that in Japan as well. If Spurs never stop, then they're not going to be Spursy in games. They're not going to just give up in games. And mm. I think you, you see that with Adogi. He could have easily lost his head. You know, he gets booked. Then suddenly Saka, his man, does him and he, he gets a goal. And suddenly this young player who's really inexperienced is on a book in North London Derby up against one of the best wingers in the league, you're like, ah, oh, there's a red card coming here very mm, shortly. Mm. I thought that. And then he just calmed himself down, stuck to his game plan, and then he was bumming forward as usual. Oh, he, yeah. didn't, he was excellent. Van as well it didn't stifle like a real him. Find. Yeah. Excellent yeah. at the back. Poro's like a new player as well. Obviously, there was a lot of uh, optimism around him when he signed, but again, maybe it was the culture he came into and the way they were asking him to play. Never really seen the best of him last year. Look at him now at the moment. And mm. even as that inverted midfielder, so capable of taking the ball, receiving the ball, playing forward passes, getting himself forward into attacking areas. Uh, the modern day fullback, I feel like he's really, really. Um, playing well at the moment so mm. they're just there was an interview before the match with Madison as well uh, up in his box that, I don't know just see that Massage, yeah, yeah he's brilliant I love Madison he's just a brilliant no way player. I'll do you <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah he, in, in the interview they asked him about the manager and obviously he's worked under good managers now Brendan Rodgers as well at Leicester and different ones but he said um, and Southgate with England so he, he basically said I've never come across anyone like this man and he was, well, in what sense? What's what does he do? What's the positive? What 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 makes him so good? He said he basically just tells me what what he wants, and he's just honest with me, without any kind of bullshit. Basically, yeah, like yeah. you know, it just talks to me simple. No mixed messages. No, it just yeah. gives me the freedom to go out and play and express myself. And he says I couldn't couldn't ask for anyone better at the moment. Like he he has literally taken that role at Spurs like a duck to water. It's unbelievable. Just on Arsenal, uh, and uh, um, Alan alluded to it there when Madison did lose possession at the edge of the box and Jesus went in blasted it over the bar and it kind of I suppose highlights again Arsenal's need for a top class striker I think that's probably what they're probably missing at this moment in time to challenge City properly Yeah I think the problem with Arsenal's striker needs is that it's very specific I I don't think if they went out and got Erling Haaland now don't get me wrong Erling Haaland would score a lot of goals for Arsenal still but you'd still have to change it the way that City had them slightly change the way that they were playing to suit Erling Haaland I don't think the way that Arsenal play particularly suits any one centre forward at the minute and they would have to change it. So I think it would take a little bit of 
changing around of personnel, maybe. I think Ivan Tony has been the one yeah, that has been like, him strongly, and it would be a smart move, I think, because that does give them an outlet to counterattack really quickly, get the ball up. I know he would have played with Rea at Brentford, Rea, who's now Arsenal's number one goalkeeper, yeah. not not number one goalkeeper. Uh, so, but he had a you, cheerleader. Uh, in Aaron Ramsdale well, yeah. <laughs> yeah he was real sincere about yeah. that Aaron Ramsdale it's a nonsense that yeah. dude Arteta like I know he's he's been asked a lot about it but for me you pick who you fancy yeah. in, in, as the number one like. And, like, and that's what he's doing now I think what he'll do this week is Ramsdale will play in that Carabao yeah. Cup and then people he'll, he'll have a good game but he'll be able to justify oh I am rotating but the three big games this week obviously the Champions League game the, the, the game against Spurs Rhea was in goals. Yeah, well, it was always going to be the test of is Arteta bullshitting or not in that, okay, the big games are coming up. Is it going to be Ramsdale or Ray? And it was right. So I, I think that shows you the difference in management styles though, where Madison's like, oh, well, Ange just gives it to me straight, mm. treats me like an adult. And then you have Arteta with all this nonsense. Like, I, I think he's tiptoeing around a situation that he was going to have to deal with anyway because we all knew up until last season that Ramsdale, while he was very good, he's not a he's not a a league winning goalkeeper mm. and that's what really killed Arsenal at the end of last season was that goals were going in where they I don't shouldn't. know if you if you watch that documentary the Arsenal thing and Arteta comes across really really well and and that's where I kind of because I was a bit skeptical in the in the start obviously winning the FA Cup bought, bought him a lot of time but the league for me if you go back to 8th and ninth, yeah. like they were struggling and a lot of question marks but he really changed my view watching that documentary because he went after Aubameyang got him out like the heavy hitter I love to see that kind of stuff and it just sets a tone and example around the place um, but in that as well and there was a lot of access to the dressing room he does overthink a lot of things as well. Now, he even says it himself, he does. Coming up with these ways to, to, to deliver messages, as you say, or, or team yeah. talks. At one stage, he got the, the club cameraman in to do the team talks. That's right, yeah. Spurs. And, and he brought that, a dog in. That might work. There was yeah. another one where, and I'm look, but I was look, I remember looking around, and now I know they're not there, Xhaka and Lacazette, but senior players, and they were kind of, <laughs> you know, and there's a bit of that. So even though, as I say, I think he's overthinking this goalkeeping thing. Just come out and say he's the number one and he's the number two. And it's competition for places. And if he plays great, he'll be the goalkeeper. If he makes three mistakes, this fella will get his chance. Like like everyone does. Is the difference between Raya and Ramsdale and uh, purely the distribution? No, I think it's the overall game. He's He was, Raya, if you look at the stats, he was responsible for saving, I think, eight goals in total over the course of last season that he shouldn't really have saved. If you look at the underlying numbers for it, it's his distribution. It is definitely part of it, but it's also his command of the box Is that like as well. XG for a goalkeeper? It's XG <laughs> for a goalkeeper, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> XC, is it? Uh, what, what, oh, XS. Expected saves. So it would have been, so you have your the XG for the shot, and yeah. then you have the post-shot XG, and then you look at, did it go in or not? So right. if you look at the quality like of the chances... One, like the save on Sunday, because that would have been down as he should have scored Brennan Johnson. So that's oh, probably yeah, not yeah. a save he's expected to make, maybe. And it was an unbelievable save. Yeah, so over the course of the season, I think it was eight or nine goals for Brentford. And eight or nine goals is, is a lot. lot. Yeah. Um, so you have that, but it's the command of the area Ash as well. He's, he's also the um, <laughs> dominating goalkeeper when it comes to actually coming out and claiming crosses and stuff, which is coming back into the game. It's a really important thing that you see the issue with David De Gea last year for United where he was just pegged to his line for corners and just not really doing anything. Raya brings that to Arsenal as well. So I think it's a combination of all those factors. Now Ramsdale is a good lad though. I thought Ramsdale and he's a good guy well, to have. He's yeah. a good guy to have in the dressing room as yeah. well. So yeah. it's it's not any slight to Ramsdale that he's not Arsenal's number one goalkeeper. He was for a while, 
Raya's coming in, and it is competition. I mean, yeah, he's going to have to knuckle down and work hard, isn't he? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, it, just on Arsenal strikers, you know the the the, the lad they they sold to uh, to Monaco, Balogun, the yes. the English lad. Um, he made his debut for Monaco there at the weekend against Nice. Missed two penalties. Was taken off the 67th minute and he scored a 94th minute winner. It's <laughs> win 1 0, yeah. Well, the, on the striker thing, you're right, Eric, and that's what's holding him back because, but he played Jesus to, off the left on Sunday. I would have always played him. If you, if you make him your main man, because he is their main centre forward, I know he's missed a lot, but if he's fit, he plays. Eddie, Ahead of Nketiah? Always, always. And to, be, and to be fair to Nketiah, I'm not being harsh on him, but he's all he'll always be viewed as backup in Arsenal's team. If he went to Everton tomorrow, he'd be their main man. Mm-hmm. If he went to Fulham, he'd be the main. F- but when you're talking Man City, Arsenal, Liverpool, Enketia is always a backup. He'll always be a squad player to me. He'll never be your main man. And I know he did quite well when he filled in, when Jesus was out. But he's surrounded by brilliant players. I could probably play centre-forward to Arsenal to a decent level if you have all brilliant players around you and they're putting chances on, on a plate in front of you. And, and I don't want to be too harsh on him, but I'm just talking about like that level and that level. And he Enketia to me is down there. And Jesus is up here. But why he played him off the left, I don't know. I thought that was a mistake. Now, I know people have looked at the chance. That has nothing to do whether you're playing off the left, in the middle, wherever. He should have scored Jesus. But I would have thought, I thought from the start of the game, play him as your centre forward, Jesus. And, and maybe Enketi off the left or some of the other players. But I, th- I thought that was a mistake from Arteta. Last word on Spurs. And uh, Alan mentioned, or you mentioned actually there following Celtic, that he gets better with time, with, with each passing window. And I suppose at the moment, Spurs... They have a great f- first 11 and I think 10 of the outfield players have played five games in a row now and you're worried about the lack of depth so if they, if they have to pick up an injury mm-hmm. or two like Madison looked like he got injured and look, would have been a Brandon massive Johnson, blow to I think is struggling for the weekend. Yeah, you look at mm-hmm. hamstring I think is gone. Um, so you'd still, obviously, uh, you'd still see Spurs going on an upper proje- uh, trajectory even though they probably don't have the squad depth at the moment. I think there will be bumps in the road. Like, I don't think it's going to be asset playing sailing for Postacoglu at all this year but what... I, I and this is the last thing that I'll say about the god of Postacoglu, who which he is, but like the thing that I really like about him is that he works with the players that he has. Mm-hmm. He he comes at, that's one of the reasons he took the Spurs job, and it's one of the reasons why Conte and Mourinho and that failed at Spurs was because they wanted their players, and if they didn't get the players they wanted, then it wasn't their fault if the project fails. Whereas Ange works with the players that he has. He's like, okay, these are professional footballers. I can make something off them. Mm. So I think you'll see subs, substitutes or general substitutes for Spurs getting better as well. A lot, You know, obviously there are exceptions to the rules. Like if Madison is injured for a long period of time, that's going to have a real effect on them. If Son gets injured, they don't really have a backup. And same with like Van de Ven or Romero. If those players, if the key core, the, if they get injured, then I do think they will struggle big time, especially Madison. But outside of that, I think you'll see the substitutes getting better. I think. But you have see... to you have to factor in as well. Bentancur is on the way back. Yeah, yeah. Like he'd be like a new signing. Pl- he was probably their best player last year before he got injured. Brilliant in the World Cup, um, and that was a real blow to them at the time. He'll be back. Papa Sar is doing fine, but he's only a young kid learning the game. Loads of energy, got around the pitch uh, really well. But when he comes back in alongside Basuma, who was unbelievable again on Sunday, Basuma, he's a serious player. I can't believe the transformation in him. Yeah. I know he's brilliant at Brighton. Mm. And when Spurs signed him, I was so jealous because I, I wanted United to sign him because I want United to sign everyone because eventually we will sign a good player. Um, <laughs> and uh, obviously he suffered under Conte, but he really, under Postacoglu, he seems to Again, have it's found his wings. Just man management, probably coming in, telling him how great he is, gives him belief, 
Basuma feels like he trusts me, giving me the giving me the freedom to go out and play my game. There's a real feel good factor at Spurs, so much so that even Daniel Levy is cracking jokes and smiling. Did and and hosting fans forums. He's I tell you, he's cute, Levy. He wouldn't yeah. have done that four or five weeks ago when yeah, the game stuff has been on. Yeah. Timing is everything, Eric. And he's out there the other night doing the fans forum with Pasta Coglu, telling me he was the man I wanted, he was the man we wanted. And he had a classic dad joke as well. They, they told me to bring in the big name. You can't get much bigger than Pasta Coglu. Did he say yeah. that? Oh, going, what a classic dad joke. <laughs> Unbelievable. <laughs> just, even, do you use dad jokes? No. <laughs> <laughs> Only when I'm struggling. Um, so yeah, I do. <laughs> uh, so Rick, that's that's the, the North London derby uh, put in its box. I suppose the other big story the weekend was the continued troubles at Stamford Bridge. Mm. Um, they were beaten 1-0 at home by Aston Villa. Listen, Aston Villa are a very good side. Um your thoughts on uh, on Pochettino? Look, just before we even start, uh, just to give you a little stat, in the last 38 Premier League games, they've earned 39 points. Like, that's almost relegation form. Yeah, I think it's six wins from that period of games as well. Like, I've no sympathy for Chelsea. I'm I'm delighted to see them doing terrible. I, I Like, all, all my sort of uh, independence in thought just goes out the window when it comes to Chelsea. <laughs> I just... I'm delighted to see them struggling. And the thing about it is they have about a million players that are the exact same. So with Post- with uh, with Pochettino, I'm like, I don't really know what you're trying to do here. And I feel sympathy for you, but you're going to be out of a job within the next couple of months. You definitely will. I can't see the opposite. Do you really think to, so, Andy? You think, I think they it's will the opposite to patience, yeah? Because no, the, the thing that is very interesting is if you look at some of the articles, People are convinced that Chelsea are playing quite well. And that might be true in terms of their chance creation. They have, they have a good few chances they, on Sunday. They, they have a lot of chances. They're creating loads of into good, getting into good areas. But if you've scored five goals in the first five games of the league, you're not a good team. I'm sorry to say it. People have been hammering Sean Dyche and Everton and the rest of the teams beneath them for being just a bit, a little bit worse than Chelsea. And Chelsea are getting away with a little bit of sympathy because it's a project. All these players are coming in, but I don't think it's going to turn around. I think Pochettino is going to be gone by Christmas. Wow, it's a bold statement there, Alan. Yeah, Christmas. Well, I was asked this over the weekend, and I says he will be given time, but I probably meant time as in the next two or three weeks. <laughs> so up to Christmas gives him that. That is time because um, we're talking what maybe twelve weeks. So maybe he needs more players. I think he he he, need, he does. He needs to be given time. That, that's the mad thing. But they do need more players. Yeah. No, and but that but Better that genuinely but, but, I t- but that's not that's not Pochettino's no, issue or problem. No. He inherited a mess, Eric. Like he walked into the sweet shop and every sweet in the whole world was in the shop <laughs> instead of just the, the twelve best sellers. You know, like it was really like so. And I'm sure, as I said last week, even in terms of the fact that he's probably trying to weed out the ones that he didn't want. I mentioned there about personnel dictating systems as well. He's probably trying to see who's the ones in terms of the way he wants to play. I don't think you're going to fix all those problems in five games or six games. So he is going to be needed a little bit of time. Um, the problem with that, as we've seen with Potter, it's all right saying you're new to the job and you need time. Um, it's when the results, you still need to be picking up the odd results. Now, whatever about losing to Villa, who, as you say, are a bad team or a good team, it was the draw against Bournemouth last week and the defeat to Forest. So they're ones that'll kill him. It's like the Stephen Kenny stuff. We'll give you time, but don't be losing to Luxembourg, right? Lose to Holland, but don't be losing to Luxembourg and we'll give you all the time you want. So that's the ones that may come back to bite him and, and kill him. Um, so going forward in terms of the fixtures that they have, obviously if they lose to Man City or lose to Arsenal, I think they live with that for now. But if they start losing to Fulham and start losing to Everton in the next two or three weeks, then he will be under pressure, serious pressure, and maybe get the chop. But I do think he needs to be given time. And... It just fall. It just goes back to, and I'm sure we we'll get to the United stuff. 
top to bottom, the place is a mess, Eric. It really is. And I'm looking, the, the reports earlier is that the coach now who came in under Potter Bruno, um, he's gone as yeah. well. Like he's going to be, so it's just, it's an absolute mess in terms of the management and who's been running that club. Todd Bowley coming in, treating the place like a toy. You know, again, like a kid in the sweet shop, buying everyone, I'll buy it and, and, and we'll win everything. Football doesn't work like that. It's never worked like that. And it's not going to work like that for Todd Bowley either. And there's a big division, in, a big rivalry in London between Chelsea and Spurs. And it must be galling for the Chelsea fans to see Spurs doing so well mm. and the feel-good factor being there so much. Um, and you caught up with one of the uh, top Spurs podcasters during the week for a little chat to find out how much he was enjoying this renaissance. I did it indeed. You actually mentioned the the word of the podcast, or the name of the podcast earlier on without actually meaning to. Uh, the podcast is called The Last Word on Spurs. Wow. There you go. You're ahead of the camera. <laughs> the presenter of that is Ricky Sachs. So I, I spoke with him about Ange Postacoglu and the North London Derby and why there's such a good feeling at Spurs right now. Ricky, thanks very much for coming on the show. Pleasure. No problem at all. What is your feeling after yesterday? I mean, going into the game, everyone was saying that this is going to be the real test for Spurs, that if Arsenal play their game, the Spurs don't have a chance. Paul Merson was writing uh, Tottenham off completely if they play the uh, sort of Ange Postacoglu ball. So um, I'd say you're pretty happy after coming away from the Emirates with a draw. Yeah, absolutely. I think there's a bit of an air of disappointment that we haven't won it, which just shows you how far we've come under Ange Postacoglu that we go away to Arsenal, a side that, let's be honest about it, are competing up there, potentially for the title. And we come away to support not to win it. I think, you know, when you have the chances Spurs had there and the way we dominated large periods of possession and the fact that we say obviously Arsenal were without in the second half, Rice in particular, and then before the game, Martinelli, Trossard. I think Spurs fans will look at it as maybe a missed opportunity, but then look, if you look at Tottenham's maybe deficiencies in that second half, the loss of Madison, of course, and then Son coming off just due to fatigue. Um, I think the point probably is a fair result, bearing in mind the fact that Spurs, I've got to say, I was really, really impressed with them to go to Arsenal and to essentially go there without compromise of playing such an exciting brand of football and allowing a dogie to really go one-on-one at times with Saka. And the way in which you took the game to Arsenal, you can't help but be impressed. And the fact we're only six games in to the Premier League under Ange Postacoglu, well, it just shows you yeah, how much excitement there is in the air. Being a Spurs fan right now, renewed energy, renewed optimism on the back of what's been, let's be honest, a difficult time being a Spurs fan with a couple of really defensive or three or four defensively-minded managers. So... I think we all feel we've got our Spurs back and it's a joy to watch it at the moment. Yeah, and I mean, I think result aside, the way that Spurs played yesterday at the Emirates, I mean, that's sort of the key thing is that they didn't park the bus. They weren't acting as if they were an inferior side. They went there and they played their own game. And that's something that Spurs have not done at the Emirates in a long, long time. No, exactly. And I think that was the most pleasing aspect of it. I mean, Ange Postacoglu spoke beforehand that Spurs would not compromise in terms of that style. They will go to Arsenal toe-to-toe, is the word he said, and they would play Arsenal at their own game. There would be no, like I say, drawback from that. And that's exactly what Spurs did. I think you saw towards the end of that first half, from the 35th minute onwards, actually when Arsenal took the lead, uh, Spurs, they would ask risk-reward in terms of whether it was worth gambling the way they did, but they got the equaliser. And then, quite frankly, I think they finished that first half with around 61% of possession at the Emirates against Arsenal that are renowned for dominating the ball at home. So it just shows you how far 
with Kamala Ranch, Potokoglu in such a short space of time. I think, again, when you bear in mind that at Celtic, I think it was only three wins in his first eight. He crashed out the Champions League fairly early on. So to have this start under Potokoglu, where Spurs still are unbeaten in the Premier League, are up there in the top four at the moment. And quite frankly, you can just feel the belief around the football club from the players, coaching staff, him as well as an aura about Ange. That, um, yeah, I think Spurs fans are worried to get too carried away. But it's a really, really good time now to be a fan. To go away to your rivals in a side that are less honest about in Arsenal are formidable at the moment. And they've got some real top, top quality players. We won't want to admit that, but they do. To go there and be disappointed not to win it just shows how far we've come. When Adogi gets booked, he's marking back Osaka. Saka then scores, or I know it went off a Spurs defender, but he gets a goal then. What is your feeling then? Because you're going in with such positivity and then suddenly like a lead balloon almost. Yeah, it's a really good point you mentioned that. I thought Adogi's maturity, given that, again, he's only again, part of this this new revolution of six games into the Premier League. He looks like he's been the left-back for years. And it's no disrespect to some of the players that have played there for Tottenham, the likes of Ryan Sessegnon, Ben Davis. I think when you look at just some of the left-backs Spurs have had down the years, I'd say since Danny Rose was in his real pomp at Tottenham, I don't think there's been a better left-back than Destiny Adogi. And a guy that's just come into the league, new system, new manager, new teammates. He's been absolutely phenomenal. And a great point you mentioned there, the fact that he's been on that booking. He's playing against one of the most formidable forwards in the Premier League to not only have to try and defend against him, but still try and attack. And almost possibly allowing him to play one-on-one, which, again, was always going to be a risk because of the quality of Saka. And I think, again, it just shows how good he was to be able to ride that booking so early play ever so well, contribute up and down the pitch the way he did. There's such a big future ahead of him. And yeah, I've got to, got to say again with Adogi, like a lot of those players, Mickey van der Ven, Vicario, there's been some really good recruitment at Tottenham in the last 18 months. And Paratigi needs to take a lot of, definitely a lot of um, credit for that. It's a shame he'll be leaving the club shortly because he's been absolutely pivotal behind the scenes of helping Tottenham really rebuild since Maurizio's departure. And they've got a young, fearless side now that are, quite frankly, as Anne says, buzzing. That's how it feels. Yeah, you can almost feel it in your voice how excited you are to watch Spurs. And as a Celtic fan, that's how I felt for the last couple of years under Ange Postacoglu. It is what he does. He just brings a really good feeling around it. But I suppose he, when Ange came in, there was an excitement, but there was also sort of trepidation around him because he had done it at Celtic, but Premier League is a different kettle of fish altogether. But Spurs fans... Yes, they're loving him already, right? Yeah, you know, you make a really good point there. I think when he came in, there was a bit of a feeling of an unknown because arguably from the managers Spurs have had recently, the likes of Conte and Mourinho, to then go with maybe a name that wasn't as familiar as those two in terms of around the world and globally, I think many were just, again, I think waiting to see what he would bring. But I've got to be honest and say, from, I would say, the first game of pre-season, when you saw the way Spurs were, yeah, playing intricate, fast-flowing football, I want to say from that moment onwards, that first game, and it sounds mad me saying this, from the opening pre-season game against West Ham, which we lost 3-2, I would genuinely say from that moment, Spurs fans already bought into Ange. And it doesn't surprise me that he's got the love that he's got for now because Spurs wanted a, or Spurs fans wanted a manager that would just respect the football club, want to be here and feel like they do feel this is a challenge and an ambition. And it felt like at times under Conte Mourinho that we were almost, 
how do I put this? It felt like they were doing us a favour by being here. Whereas with Ange, it just feels like he wants to be here. He's really, really, you know, respectful of the club, respectful of the stature of the club and what it means. And I think, again, it's just nice having someone that doesn't talk down to us as a fan base and almost tell us, you know, you're only as good as this or you're only as good as that. With Ange, he literally just feels like sky's the limit. He's saying, get carried away, get excited. And I think that's the great thing, that he hasn't set a limit on what the expectations are, what the ambitions are. He's made it clear that he wants to win. He's made it clear that he wants to bring a free-flowing style of football. And it's lovely as well, just going into post-match, pre-match press conferences, actually getting an answer from a manager (laughs) and not all these cryptic clues. It's just so lovely to hear it and refreshing. And you'll know as well, being a Celtic fan, that it's a common occurrence that you get late goals under range because it is that mantra, we never stop. And we're seeing that right now. So it's a joy to watch, a joy to be a part of. I think Spurs fans like me are pinching themselves a little bit because we always are apprehensive about what the crisis is to come round the corner. But if you can't enjoy it now, then you're never going to enjoy it. So get on the bandwagon because it's an exciting time to be a Spurs fan. What I'm about to say, I don't say in a disrespectful way, but I'm going to say that Ange is going to make Spurs unspursy. I don't think you're going to get the sort of bottle jobs that Spurs have been accused of over the last couple of years. I think Ange is going to actually get rid of that once and for all. Well, you know what? Again, what really, really struck me about yesterday in that derby was that, look, we've had all different types of managers that, yeah, are very passionate on the touchline, those that aren't so passionate. And he brings a real calm, composed, measured manner on the touchline that, look, we're away to Arsenal in the North London derby. We've come back in that game twice in a game against, let's be honest about it, Arsenal, that will be right up there. You could argue trying to compete with City for the title, which to be fair, I think it's be very, very hard to do again because they're dropping points early on. But um, if you see his reaction to both goals, he's just so calm, so composed. The arms go up to celebrate. But apart from that, he literally is just, as I've said, just so, so calm mannered. And that rubs off on the players on the pitch. You can see the players are calm. They're composed. They're not panicking they're not frightened when they go a goal behind you know we've seen Spurs go behind quite a few times this season I think they've got the most goals already in terms of from losing positions you look at from the start to where we are now um Burnley of course Sheffield United now Arsenal there is a real genuine belief that even if we go behind we're gonna get back into games and to do it twice at the Emirates for me is a real statement and I agree with what you're saying there Ange. I think there is just something special about him and look we just have to nurture it, cherish it and keep it going because I think, again, throughout not being negative, we have not been used to having a period like this since Maurizio was at the football club and you're going back to, what, 2019. So it's been four or five tough, tough years. Spurs fans would say they've been overdue this for sure. And I think, as we said yesterday on last one on Spurs, you've got to really go back, I would say, to that Champions League final, which again is four or five years ago now, to feel that genuine excitement again of what it's like being a supporter. And it's lovely to have that feeling where you're looking forward to games, you're not scared, you're not apprehensive, you go into every game feeling you can win it. And Ange's done that already. Mm. And I think what you mentioned earlier is great about Ange is that he doesn't try and calm you down. He's like, get get overexcited, enjoy what you're supposed to enjoy because that's what football's all about, which I think that really brings fans on board with what they're trying to do and also helps in the bad times where previous Spurs managers they really did not help themselves. In terms of the actual team itself, is the overall structure and the way that the team flows, and even the likes of what you were saying there about 
the coming back from results if they're actually trailing again. Are Spurs better without Harry Kane now? Because previously it was just, if Kane doesn't score, Spurs probably aren't going to score. Whereas now you've got Madison, you've got Son, you've got the fullbacks popping up with goals. Even some of the defenders are going to get goals this season. Overall, the, the pressure of it all almost makes Spurs a better team not having Harry Kane. Yeah, look, I mean, again, it's early days. We're only six games in. I'd be stupid to say that we're a better team without Harry Kane because the guy's got 25, 30 goals consistently over the course of the last seven, eight seasons. There'll be games where, look, it's a long, long season ahead. There'll be games, I'm sure, we'd feel having someone like Harry's ability to score most certainly would have been helpful. I think what Harry's departure has done is it has allowed other players to almost come into their own four. And as we've seen with Son, for example, I think he's absolutely relished the captaincy. He's taken it on. We've seen a whole new leadership group, to be honest with you. You know, Madison now, Romero. I think giving those guys the vice captaincy has been a real masterstroke by Ange. And the thing is, many people said Spurs needed to have a rebuild. And I think with Liverpool, there was a point where they need to have a rebuild. And they ripped Coutinho out of that team. And as you saw, they become a new side with, of course, Van Dijk, with Allison in there. And look, it's early days, we're only six games in. I don't want to go too overboard, but it does feel with Tottenham, this has been long overdue. And there's no point keeping a player that, let's be honest about it, again with Harry, had we kept him. Come January, the speculation would have been there again. And if we were having this kind of run, it may have derailed us. So I think for the best interest of everybody, including Harry, as you see the way he started in Bayern Munich, I think it came at the right time for the club. Mm. That's not to say we might not miss him that season because he's a world-class striker. You've seen already by his hit rate over there, he can score in any team. I think that's maybe, again, you could say maybe disappointments, again, being honest and fair balance, that could you imagine having a Harry Kane in an Ange Postacoglu side with the amount of chances Spurs create? But look, at the moment, we're not missing him. The goals are being spread around the team and it's a real happy place to be at with Tottenham. And I think, again, you see that. You can see the vibe around the camp. is really positive. Players feel happy. Ange looks happy. And I think, again, it's nice, as I've said, to have a manager that is embracing that team spirit. It's not all about themselves, which you could maybe argue having those last couple of what I would call global managers, that becomes a thing. So Ange is a very cool, calm customer. He's very, very, I would say, laid back. And I think you see the way in which that comes across on the media with the players. It's a joy to be a part of it at the moment. So then, without limiting expectations, I know Spurs have been knocked out of the cup, one of the cup competitions already. But what 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 is the expectation among Spurs fans now? Are, have the expectations been raised exponentially since the start of the season? I saw some people predicting Spurs would finish like ninth, tenth, eleventh, which I thought was just outrageous to begin with. But that's just people who didn't know Ange Postecoglou. After getting to know him for the first four or five weeks now. What are the expectations for this Spurs side? Yeah, I mean, this is the kind of question I was um, I, I was dreading, to be honest with you. Um, it's look, I think I'll be honest with you. From my perspective, um, I would say at the I would say at the moment the expectations for me would be to finish top six. I think anything above that would be incredible. Um, but I think at the moment I'd say top six would be would be the ambition for now. Ricky, thanks very much. My pleasure, no problem at all. Thanks for having me. 
So that was Ricky Sachs from The Last Word on Spurs. A very, very happy Spurs fan and very optimistic about the rest of the season. And why shouldn't he be, Al, says you. And you'll probably be meeting him over in London for Me a Me and Ricky scoop. will be having a few <laughs> beers on Saturday. Um, so we touched on Chelsea. Uh, City, City again went down to 10 men. They were 2-0 up at the time against Forrest, but still never really looked in trouble, looked comfortable. And it's just hard to see anyone stopping them again, isn't it? Right now it is, yeah, but like... Pep is coming out every week and I know he does he kind of does this but certainly in the last two or three weeks and all he's talking about is like the injuries and we're going to struggle and he's going to play himself in the Carabao Cup he's talking about and everything there's that many injuries play the academy players he's not going to risk anyone because he can't afford to um, the interesting thing now with Rodri he'll be gone for three games as well Calvin Phillips is this he missed the Arsenal away game in yeah, two weeks so time. there you go yeah. like, and that's that's a huge opportunity then for Arsenal no De Bruyne no um, Rodri. Rodri and he's like the main kind of I know everybody goes on about Haaland and De Bruyne and rightly so and they always get the plaudits the fellas score the goals and the assists but Rodri makes the whole thing function as well he's phenomenal in that position in that role and it was silly what he did as well like, why are you getting involved you're 2-0 up like Gibbs White is the, one of the most cultured footballers in the league he's not going around trying to absolutely break in too so why Rodri reacts off something to Gibbs White I thought it was an absolute nonsense and I'm sure Guardiola was probably saying hold on a minute like he can't be doing this and now he's going to miss him for three games as I said Calvin Phillips will it be his time to shine and get a chance he's been hanging on on, on hanging on in there for two years this is like, my time I don't know how he's hung on in there like you yeah. know I really have I re and people say well he's, he's he's involved in a squad and a team that's winning leagues but he's not contributing to anything no. you know so and he went from like a really really promising player star at Leeds gets his big move playing for England and um, like, I don't know how he sits by and watches without even getting a sniff of a chance. It's not like he even gets a sniff. He's literally there celebrating like Ramsdale, every, <laughs> waving on if someone does something good. Like, And I I was a big fan of Calvin Phillips. So this will be his chance to see just um, if he gets a ch chance and an opportunity. But yeah, everybody is saying they'll run away with it. I, I, I'm I'm holding on to the thought that they mm -hmm. won't, Eric. Or yourself, Ender. Well, it doesn't speak well for Calvin Phillips when Pep's saying he's going to play himself in midfield. So, like, I mean, maybe he's a pound overweight this weekend and he doesn't get a game. I don't know what the crack is going to be with Calvin Phillips. But, no, I think Rodri is going to be a huge miss. He's what makes that City team tick. I'd sort of compare him to the Claude McAuley of the Chelsea team that really dominated. He was, like, you take him out of the team or, um, you know... I think he the even offers of the more. Leicester I think he City even team. offers more than, he, he in does, terms yeah, of his that, technical ability. Yeah, that but, that position is developed. He's sort of the CDM of the old school days. Yeah. Uh, plus, he can play a lot of ball. But I mean, that was coming at some point. All of his nonsense was going to catch up with yeah. him. Do you know he's only been booked five times in the last couple of years for City? Five times. Five times. Playing in that and position. he is the player that commits the most amount of silly does, yeah, fouls in the league by far. He's in, he gets incredibly lucky. I don't know what it is about him. He just escapes. He does it in a nice way. Yeah. But, it, it, but to it, me, that's clever. It is. It, and it's how Pep gets away with so many things. It's how Pep wins so much because he has all these players that aren't these types of players that never pick up bookings and they're constantly cynical and fouling. And that's why they... You know, if they do attack so much, if they're getting caught on the break, they just pull them down Street and smarts. they get away with it. They, they're just smarter than everyone else. And Rodri's the the key of that. He's the master of that. So I think he's going to be a huge miss. But at the same time, 
I mean, it's really, really ironic that Pep Guardiola the, is chatting the, about like the, injuries. Oh no! Oh, oh, oh no! Like, you're talking. What do you want to do? End about no sympathy for Chelsea. Nobody has any sympathy no. for City when he's coming out cribbing about injuries, like yeah. with the squad of players and the monies that he spent. But if you go back to the first goal on Saturday, it was absolutely incredible, and this is why they're so good. Like there's Rodri, as you say, who does all the defensive duties that he has to do. But in terms of him playing penetrative passes and like zinging a ball forty yards, Walker's movement as well. And if you look. At a split second, it was the second angle. Rodri literally took a touch and before it's even out of his feet, Walker's gone. And to be able to play that pass in a split second and still stay on side, like the defending was poor, but he's not getting there any because Walker is so dynamic in his, in his movement. But the strange thing for me was when he takes the touch, he doesn't score himself. He plays it back to Foden with one touch. If you remember the goal he scored a couple of weeks ago for England against Ukraine, same run, exact same thing, in behind, takes a touch and scores. But the touch back on the volley to Foden and he buries it. Like, yeah. that's elite. As he knows, if he had missed Pep would have been on his case, he's going to give it to someone else who might have a better <laughs> chance Walker's phenomenal as well. Yeah, he's he's brilliant. A, and that's it, they do. They have great players, great team. But I still don't think they're going to run away. I'm holding on to this for the last few weeks. Mm. We did, so the top six in the Premier League right now reads as uh, City, Liverpool, Brighton, Tottenham, Arsenal, Villa, in that order, right? So when you look at the managers there, Al, you've got Pep, Klopp, Deserby, Postacoglu, Arteta and Emery. Like, is that the order of the best managers in the league right now? Yeah, it's a great point you bring up because everybody speaks about the, the, the teams and the players. It's the managers. Like, the managers is incredible. Like the, what they're doing at the moment, all those managers is unbelievable. You think Emery came in last year, Villa was a bit of a shit show and he's turned the whole place around as well. And he lost Bundy at the start of the season, which is a massive load. It's like losing James Madison or whoever. Um, but still, they just get on with it. That was a great win at the weekend, obviously winning away from home. Uh, he's done a phenomenal job, Emery. The Zerby, like you're mentioning there about City, Brighton might win the league. What about <laughs> Brighton to win the league? Why not? Like, I know I watched the European game and, and he made a lot of changes and they got caught out a little bit. But in terms of the league form, again, you bring Matoma on at the weekend. Like, the, like and, he, and and he was, it was the first time I seen him annoyed. He came out and said it's the worst they've played since he's come. He was really critical of them. Um, but again, in terms of implementing philosophies, and I know these are all buzzwords, sometimes I kind of be like, but in terms of like a manager or any, any manager going into any business and trying to put across your ideas and what you're trying to do, it's just unbelievable what he's done, Zerbi. The keeper got cut out, though, see that? Keep, yeah, yeah. yeah. But, he, but again, Solanke. go back to end this point about this is what to do. He, the keeper will be still told to do the exact same thing as what you did at the weekend because it will work nine times out of ten. We might lose the odd one, but it'll be better for us in the long run what you're doing. And I go back to Jason Steele's performance against United there a couple of weeks ago. Unreal. Like So the job he's doing, the Zerbi, is just incredible as well. And uh, look in in terms of the ranking there, would you would you have them managers in that in that order as well? Four, second, third, fourth, fifth, and sixth at the moment. What is it? Who's top? So, so it's Pep, Klopp, the Zerbi, Postacoglu, yeah. Arteta, and Emery. I think that is actually yeah. pretty much spot on. Yeah, that is very um, good. I think Deserby potentially could be the new guy on on the town that really completely obliterates uh, what what the others have done. I think it's impossible to get higher than Pep to be honest, because yeah. of what he's done. Um, but I, I guess the thing that you could throw into that thing is that Deserby is doing it with a club like Brighton, yeah. who that, that has always been the shtick that's been thrown at Pep Guardiola that, you oh, could, could, he do it, could he do it with a lower level, uh, you know, players and a, a, a smaller budget? Because he's always done it at the bigger side. So Deserby is proving that, yeah, you can. You're yeah. like, if you're, if you're smart in the transfer market, you can get really good players for a lot cheaper and you can implement this strategy. So 
Um, I think that's actually pretty much spot on. I, I, I took some flack for saying Postacoglu was a top six Premier League manager when he took the when it was going into his second year of the Celtic job. I said he's going to be. Oh, you did. He's going to be at the well, top. Man, you love you I, love I, Postacoglu. I love, him. I love him. I think he's just he a breath of fresh air. He, he has the the ability of Pep when it comes to coaching. He has man management skills. He's got good scouting ability. He has a nose for character. He's he's just got the full package, which I think makes him an elite manager. Um, and well, I think did, the rest did you, too. Did you say that online or, or in a podcast or anywhere? In a, in a Are podcast, you looking for proof? Yeah. No, no. <laughs> <laughs> no, what I'm interested in is the reaction. Did you get ridicule? Not ridicule, but did you get a bit of negative reaction? In well, terms? Because I think the one thing as well that maybe is playing in his favour a little bit at the moment they were so disrespectful towards this man when he came down. The likes of Paul Merson and these fellas probably didn't even know who he was. And they were so disrespectful to him. And, and the English media in general, I mentioned this a couple of times, just because he managed at Celtic. Just because you're at Celtic, it's a massive club. You still have to go out and win trophies yeah. and win things and the expectation that's on you. Um, so I felt the way they treated him when he came down. And maybe that's why it's feeding into obviously the positivity around him now. But it was just, it was it was such an ignorance towards what he had done in his career before. Well, that's what happened at Celtic as well. Like loads of people. There was a bit of that, wasn't there? Were, yeah, were sort yeah, of like, yeah. oh, Jesus. Yeah. Yeah. Who's this? Um, he didn't even have his pro license, the UEFA pro license at that point when he got the Celtic job. And there's a famous clip on TalkSport of Alan Brazil with his big red face mm. be, uh, mispronouncing his name yeah. on purpose and being like, oh, this has got to be a joke. And it was it was like something that really, the Celtic fans really bought into Postacoglu as, as a result. I think that's sort of happening with Tottenham now. But to answer your question, like the reaction to it, it was from people who hadn't experienced Anne Postacoglu before. Course, yeah. and, I, and now it's the exact same scenario happening in the Premier League where people didn't know who he was. Now people know who, who he is and they kind of, they get it. They understand what we're talking about now. So you were saying as a Celtic fan, you could see how good he was. And was that a fear among Celtic fans when he was doing well that eventually the Premier League would come and get him? That was always the fear. Because I think everybody it, knew it, that. What, what's it? interesting about Celtic is that over the last number of years, you always spoke about the best players like, you know, Moussa Dembele who went to Lyon or Eduard who's at Crystal Palace now. Like you were always afraid of your best players being picked off at the end of the season. That's kind of the, the cycle that Celtic were in. Whereas under Postacoglu, it was never about, oh, we might lose this player, we might lose this player, we might lose this player. It was always that. We might lose the manager. Ange Postacoglu is going to leave at some point. And, and then the an event. Yeah. Another thing as well, he did an interview with Gary Lineker as well, I was listening to over the weekend. And I think it was with Lineker he said this, but he spoke about, and I think this is amazing, and, and there's so much of an emphasis now, Eric, on coaching and tactics and formations and all those things, but it's never been more heightened in the game the emphasis on all those things and as I mentioned earlier about the fashionable stuff with the fullbacks and systems and all this kind of stuff and yes it's important very important and especially when you see the way Spurs play now what he what he implemented but the one thing he spoke about about his biggest strength and he says the most important thing he feels as a coach is the man management side he says unless you, and I, I've been I, I've always thought about this and I've said it to more lads like it's not rocket science unless you have fellas on side you're toast mm. and we see it even more so nowadays Eric with the power that the player has and the money that they're going for and the egos and I've even heard the last couple of years people being players being referenced as brands now they're not players this nonsense right so the power that they have in the game that they never had before it was always a manager who had the power and now it's all the players but 
I don't know why so many of them still go down the road of not being a brilliant man manager and just being being good to them. Obviously, if they step out of line, that's when you nail them. But just basically get them on side and try and get them on side and emphasis and and put so much of an emphasis on that end of the game as much as what you're putting on top. Get to know them as people. Yeah, and, and exactly. And on the human level, and he speaks about that and it's so important to him and he can see that. They're mad about him. Mad- Madison said on Sunday, he says, we'd run through brick walls for this fella. Yeah, he, he, he actually tre- spoke about him as a motivator as well and that's yeah. so important as well Eric like. and he treats him like humans I yeah. think that's the main element of uh, his sort of man management style he doesn't actually go into the dressing room do you know that he doesn't go he, he stays out of the dressing room uh, on match day he doesn't go into it um, because that's the player's area that's he sees that before as, before the game, yeah, he doesn't go in. He, His work's he'll, done. He'll, he'll go, the he'll, last briefing will be probably the pre-match meal. The last briefing will be, yeah, the meeting before they go to the stadium. Once you're at the stadium, the players go into the dressing room. Ange does not go into the dressing room before wow. the game. And he leaves it up to the captain or the, the captains, as is the case at, yeah. at Spurs, to do the talking because that's the player's area. Now, that can backfire at times because... He's very much a coach where he'll he'll do his meetings, he'll do his talk. If you need to talk to him, he's there, he'll listen to you. And that, but he doesn't really approach the players. He doesn't sit with them in the canteen. He very much leaves the players to do their own thing. And that suits some players. I think it's definitely suiting the Tottenham players at the minute. But the likes of Matt O'Reilly, who was at Celtic last mm. year, a really good midfielder, he sort of had a dig at Ange uh, after the first couple of weeks of Brendan Rodgers. Uh, came in, he was asked about Brendan Rodgers and Matt O'Reilly said, yeah, well, it's nice, you know, just to have a manager who, you know, you can sit and have a chat with a, at lunchtime or something like that. And it was a sly dig at Ange's style. Okay. So, so just, he's a bit aloof from him. He's a bit aloof. He's, st- he's, very, he's standoffish when he's not needed. He just lets the players do whatever they want. So, I mean, it's just, it's, his, it's style. just his style. It's, it works for him and it's something that he's done throughout his career, so. Okay, so that's our, our little Premier League roundup done. Um, uh, the Irish women played a historic match at the Aviva there on Saturday, beating Northern Ireland 3 0. Uh, 36,000, 36,000, mm, I think it was a, a record for a women's match. And uh, and hopefully, going forward, this means all the matches we played at the Aviva now. And, you know, I mean, Tala was great for them, but I think they've probably outgrown it now at this mm. stage. Um, I want to mention the debutante who got player of the match, Caitlin Hayes. Brilliant. Imagine we had her at the World Cup. How good was she, Al? Yeah, she was fantastic. I watched the game, Eric, and um, such an addition to the team because I suppose that was one of the, not the criticisms, but you look at, I suppose, over the last two or three years, the mainstays at the back was Nephi, Louise Quinn, Diane Caldwell, getting on in their careers. So obviously to have Caitlin Hayes, now I know she, I think she's 28, but still to have her come in in the prime of her life and... um, impact the game in which she did in terms of her distribution going forward I thought she was excellent on the ball and it just freshened up that kind of back they played with a back too but it just freshened it up a little bit um, and she will be a massive addition going forward good win massive crowd great occasion uh, the opposition were very very poor or like really poor and I think you have to add that in did we see anything too radical in terms of Vera's gone negative Vera and now we have positive Eileen I don't think it was too it was too radical in that sense um, but it was great to see Tyler Toland back involved as well I remember seeing her, I think she was only 17, 18 and thinking this girl is going to have a great career. Um, I think she's 22 now. She still can have a great career. But the fact that she's back involved uh, and played really well again at the weekend, that's that's another plus. So yeah, it was a great day overall. Got the, got the goals. Albeit, I think it was two set pieces one of them. So they weren't carving out chance after chance and they got a, the, the goalkeeper made a bit of a howler for one of them as well, Kyra Cruz's goal. Um, but overall, 3-0 and I'm sure Eileen will be absolutely delighted with the start. Um, but you have to factor in the opposition were very poor. 
new champ for the Irish women's team. Come on, Eileen. There we go. That's, we leave it at that. That's me. It's better than zombie. You know? but, but yeah. I oh, let's not go there. The, que- the question around Eileen at the moment, like they're in a position now where the Nations League games are coming. They have the potential to probably win them all because of the, the opposition that they're playing. So they're hungry tonight, isn't it? In Budapest. And if they were to win them all and she's the manager that wins five in a row or something, does she step in and, and go for the job? I, I'm not so sure. Does she want it? Or Yeah, what she said today she didn't. No. she's not going to take it. She oh, really? To, yeah, she wants to focus on her... Uh, current uh, current role, which so, is what director of football or something sort of like that. Is yeah, it? overseeing so, the over, women's yeah. game in Ireland. I think. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. yeah, so she wants to step back eventually. I think is what she was putting forward. Now she was joking and laughing that what what would happen. Like, yeah. but I think it was a nice she, day for her as well because she's involved. Like, like we think of, I suppose, in the last two three years, all the hype around the women's team. But what they have gone through for years and years when there was no focus and no kind of exposure for them, and we obviously everybody knows the stories. But Eileen dates back through however long in terms of right. uh, soldiering through I'd, I'd say even a lot worse than what the players have gone through uh, going back to the strike in 2017 Eileen has been there for years and years so to get her moment in the sun managing the team in the Aviva I thought that was nice for her and a lovely moment and the well. players I think seem to all respect her as well yeah of course because like she's her. been involved for yeah. so long and um, obviously she was on the coaching ticket with Vera but she's been there a stalwart of Irish football for years and years so to get her moment I thought that was nice for her and Caitlin Hayes uh, who was brilliant uh, she plays she's, she's English born um, and I thought it was another case of you know another English player wanting to play for Ireland because Ireland suddenly looked good but I immediately went onto her Instagram page and there's pictures of her as a little girl like age 6 or 7 with the Irish jersey on and she said it was always a dream of hers to play for Ireland and the fact that she got she said she would have turned up just to be water girl okay. if, if she was allowed she was that they're the ones you want yeah like they're the ones you run want run through brick walls so to speak but she was uh, she was just effusive in her joy about uh, playing for Ireland and the pride it gave her family like you know because it's my gripe with international football and it's it's become a lot more evident in recent times is fellas who are not good enough for their home country but to have a granny or granny and I know we like I'm not going back to the stuff with, with Jack Charlton and stuff that we had but I'm talking about lads now playing and and I know there's the dual nationality and all that and it's and it's become more apparent but I I you have to have a grow and a love for the country that you want to go and play for. You just can't go and say, well, I'm not going to get in the England team, but I might get in the Polish team. Or, yeah. you know, but, but they're only playing with Poland because it's international football and an opportunity for them. I don't like that about international football. To me, it's always where you're born, where you're from, and you go out and play and, and want to play for your country. It's the highest kind of achievement you could ever get. So... When I see lads just going off, kind of, well, sure, it's a game on a Wednesday for an yeah. international team. That kind of annoys me a little bit at times. There was a great one, actually. You mentioned England and Poland there. Matty Cash, obviously, has made that switch. No, I'm not referencing No, that, I know. I was wondering if you were having a dig no, at Matty no, Cash. No, no, no. Uh, Aston Villa were playing Legia Warsaw in the the European competitions at the weekend. Week, yeah. And apparently the Aston Villa fans, they were going through security. And there was a security guard who saw there were Villa fans and oh no like uh, they might stop us here and the security guard proceeded to tell every single one of them how much he loves Matty Cash yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, he, and he's done well for Poland to be yeah, fair to him yeah. but does he love Poland well uh, he might do I don't know I'm not yeah, too but sure that, you, but you know the point I'm making yeah I know that, what you mean though. Yeah, like, uh, but on your point on, on Eileen Gleeson as well I would add Emma Byrne to that as well mm. I think if you were to to look at the historic moment that it was for Ireland I, I, the Ireland women seem to play at the Aviva to have Eileen Gleeson who's been there forever Emma Byrne who was so important to that uh, you know the protest movement that they, they had to have all them involved and at the forefront I think mm. was 
and really, really Colin special. Healy was there as well yeah. obviously a big profile Irish international but his demeanour as well would be very good around the place Colin was uh, he, I didn't know he was part of the yeah he's part of the ticket. coaching staff there for, for the games as well and Colin's a really good fella yeah, so to have someone man. like him um, and as I said his demeanour the way he goes about things he'd be he'd be a really good influence on, on the team as well and, and it could be a thing that Colin might step up or you know in terms of the management like there's one I'm throwing out there Colin Healy to manage the women's team I tell you, I'd have no issues or problems with it and I think he'd be a very good appointment. So that's Caitlin Hayes, uh, Celtic, New Ireland's latest Celtic international centre-half. Another Celtic centre-half who is probably playing the football of his life right now um, uh, is Liam Scales. Mm. Um, I watched him in the old frame derby at Ibrox. He was man of the match. I watched him now. Celtic were beaten relatively comfortably by Feyenoord. It wasn't, it wasn't, like Celtic did have their chances, but again, he was hugely impressive. Um, should he be in the reckoning for the next uh, Irish squad? A hundred percent, yeah, absolutely. He will be in it. I think, um, not just in the reckoning. Now, again, it goes back to the argument about we're probably overstocked a little bit in that area, which can be unfortunate for Lame. But he's playing well enough, and he's playing with Celtic in a very good team under Brendan Rodgers, playing the Champions League. I don't think he can be doing any more on his side of the bargain to be getting named in squad. So, um, I'm sure Stephen is obviously fully aware of that as well. You look at the the team at the moment and it was a Duffy Egan, Collins, Star O'Shea, but there's no left-sided one, mm. you know, so that would be, if you're playing a back three, he can be the left-sided one as well. That's a big advantage for him just in terms of balancing things up there as well because uh, it can be awkward. Dar O'Shea is often playing on the left side, Collins maybe, um, Egan playing on the right the last time, Duffy was in the middle. So, yeah, I think Liam is doing really, really well and good luck to him. He's a great fella as well. Um, and to see him playing every week now under Brendan Rodgers again, who I think is a very, very good manager. He'll be really well coached. Um, yeah, he'll ha- I think he'll be in the squad. Or I don't think it's a question of will he be. I think he'll be in it. You would have seen a lot of uh, scales uh, this season. And uh, your thoughts on him? I think he's done really well. Now, the real test for Liam Scales will be what happens when the other players come back into fitness. Because at the minute, Celtic have... Mike Navrosky, they've got uh, Cameron Carter-Vickers and Stephen Welsh, who traditionally, you know, Mike Navrosky was brought in to replace Carr Starfeld, who is the number one centre-back alongside Cameron Carter-Vickers. They're both out injured. Stephen Welsh was the third choice. Then they brought in uh, Lager Bielka again, another centre-back. At the minute, Liam Skills is playing in the middle with Lager Bielka on the right. The real test will be once Cameron Carter-Vickers is back, he'll be straight back into the team will Liam Scales be kept in the team by Brendan Rodgers? Now, I would make the argument that he deserves to be because mm. he's earned his place. He got lucky with the injuries, but he's he's taken his jersey. He's earned his jersey. And that's what football's uh, all yeah. about, isn't it? And it's up, to, it's up to these other players now to earn they their jersey back. Him. The, the issue is a lot of people see Liam Scales as, oh, he was a 300,000 uh, signing from the League of, the League of Ireland. How, could, how good can he really be? He must be at a ceiling. We have a £4 million defender sitting on the bench instead of him he's obviously better just because he costs more yeah. so I think so that's narrow minded view it, it really is it, and they're not taking into account that what does that say to Liam Scales if he's played man of the match in the old firm he was brilliant in the Champions League he's been Celtic's best defender in the last couple of games for a player to come back and then immediately oh sorry Liam thanks for your help but uh, yeah we're going to even if that, if that's it just the, doesn't work that way no and if that's the criticism against him he has no control over that it's no. it, that's that's purely down to circumstance that he just happened to be playing in Ireland and we're not a country that sells players for two and three million so he goes for in our league it was a lot of money but that's four or five years ago he's gone on and played for he was with Aberdeen last year playing every week like so to hold that against a a young player that's like saying oh well um, 
we signed him and he was only 18 he went on to be the best player in the world but but we're, we're dating back to the 18 at 18 <laughs> like he came from Barnet and he only cost 200 grand yeah. or something like you know so that's a nonsense argument like he he's improved so much and grown and matured since that time that's only a consequence of where he developed and started and then you move on from there um, so yeah that's a nonsense argument he has earned his place he's got his opportunity that's what, what football is all about in terms of fellas being injured you get your chance you step in grab it with both hands and he looks, and so, he looks like he really benefited from that loan move to Aberdeen last season he was playing first team football every week in, in the Scottish Premier League and by all accounts was really good for Aberdeen oh he was yeah and he, he definitely did improve I think what was interesting that he was moved back into his centre back role he hadn't played that for a while for Shamrock Rovers and he played in a back left three back, played yeah. left wing back and then at Celtic he was brought in and everyone was like is he a, is he a left back is he a centre back he wasn't starting in either position. He went to Aberdeen, did really well. And to be honest, and it's no slight on name skills, he would not be at the club right now if those four players didn't all get injured at the minute. I think he was on his way out the door at Celtic. But that's irrelevant now mm-hmm. because he is at the club. Mm-hmm. He has done well and he has earned his jersey. So as far as I'm concerned, and he, I, th- he, I think Brendan Rodgers would be the type that would be appreciative of that. He yeah. would understand the fact that a young player here probably come in the door, Rodgers thinking going through his stock that he had and four or five centre halves and as Enda says he would have been well down the pecking order then he realised his injuries I need to call on this kid I need to depend on him he was my best player in the Old Farm game he goes out plays great against Feyenoord he would appreciate and respect that to have the attitude to, to, to step in and basically bail him out a little bit yeah, exactly. and done really well for him and I think football fans look at footballers in a really narrow minded way in that okay this is their level and it never ever moves <laughs> but players can improve like Liam Scales can improve from where he's at at the minute he can still get better it's not a case of you know you've reached oh, we, your ceiling and that's yeah, it we, we brought you in at this level that's the level you'll, you'll play you'll at for the rest it. of your career uh, he will improve and I think the more game time he, he, he'll grow into the role he is still a little bit rash at times he's very keen uh, so that might count against him his pace might count against him but at the minute he's done nothing that I can see that deserves for him to be dropped out of the team for sure and definitely would be bringing him into the Ireland uh, set up if it's going to be in a back three or even as a left back he can play left back and that's, and a, that's an area back, again yeah. where we, we're struggling at the moment you know so yeah. that that's all in his favour as well interesting times when is he, when's he announcing his squad should we see him shouldn't he soon, yeah. I met him down David I should probably know that yeah Stephen I met him as well did you I said how are you Stephen ask him on podcast let's see what happens he says how are you Alan yeah. <laughs> 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 he said did you say something sort of negative about me no, last week no, no he didn't he gave me a big wave <laughs> um, so we love Stephen yeah, sorry, that's that even the first thing we I walked in last night to Daily Mount and little fella, that Stephen Kenny is here. Yeah, it's mad that isn't it? Yeah. Like the Ireland manager, and he like he spent he spent most of the half time just getting pictures with kids. Nice man, you know what I mean? Does, yeah, and that's that's the thing. Like, and yeah. we've always said this, but yeah, and that'll be part of him forever. And he's never shied away from that, even when he got the big job and he's there at the grounds. And um, yeah, we want Stephen. <laughs> <laughs> Greece next. So we we reckon we reckon uh, Liam Scales could be in the squad for Greece. I think so. Yeah. Yeah, I think if he keeps going the way he is, sure. Okay, well, uh, we have reached the end of our podcast yet again. It's been an absolute pleasure talking to both my guests, Alan Colley and Enda Call. Uh, lads, thanks for joining me. We will be back next week, same time. Subscribe, like, share, uh, leave us a review. And the the word this week is e x c e l l e n t. Thank you. <laughs> You've been listening to House of Football. Brought to you by Sports Joe.